You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Now it's time for your Minnesota moment. That's news from my hometown of St. Paul that you won't get from Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Today, Hubert Humphrey. The man from Minnesota who almost defeated Richard Nixon for president in 1968. For that, we turn to Michael Kazin. He teaches history at Georgetown. His latest book is War Against War, The American Fight for Peace, 1914 to 1918. He's the co-editor of Dissent Magazine and a contributor to The Nation. Michael Kazin, welcome back. Great to be here, John. Well, for people like us who grew up in the 60s, Hubert Humphrey was a crucial representative of everything that was wrong in America. Well, I was 20 years old in 1968 when he ran for president, and I really hated him back then. He was the representative of everything I thought was rotten about American politics. Uh, He'd been a a great domestic liberal, but then when he became vice president with with, uh, Lyndon Johnson in 1964, he became... Uh, the most high-profile cheerleader in the party for the Vietnam War, which I thought and still think was an abomination, which killed millions of people and uh, in many ways helped to bring on the conservative era in American politics that we're still immersed in. When I was a kid growing up in Minnesota, Hubert Humphrey was a liberal hero. We were all told about how in 1948 at the Democratic National Convention, he had confronted the segregationists in the party. Remind us what that was about. Well, in 48, uh, the Democratic Party was finally, after more than 100 years of its history as a party defending slavery and then segregation, the Democratic Party was finally seeing the light and a uh, uh, majority of of, of uh, Democrats in the North, uh, at least, were uh, supportive of a civil rights bill. And Humphrey, who was then mayor of Minneapolis, gave a really bravura speech uh, at the Democratic convention that year in which he defended uh, a civil rights plank in that platform. And uh, the plank passed, and in response, some Dixiecrats walked out of the convention and founded the state's rights party, uh, which was dedicated to keeping the Jim Crow order uh, intact. And uh, so he was... He was a hero not just of uh, New Deal and later on uh, uh, New Frontier Great Society programs, but also uh, he was one of the first white Democrats um, to really take a stand for civil rights, uh, to put the party on record being for civil rights legislation instead of uh, opposed to it, as it had been throughout most of its history. And then he served 16 years in the Senate. He called himself a liberal without apology. Of course, this was also the era of McCarthyism. How did he do in the era of McCarthyism? 
Well, <laughs> on the one hand, he was a New Deal liberal, and he did want to sort of revive uh, New Deal liberalism and uh, support really uh, robust social programs to help the poor, uh, to strengthen labor unions. And yet he also wanted to run for president, and this was the Cold War, and he was very aware that, that anybody who was considered to be soft on communism, as the phrase had it, would have a very hard time getting elected. So in 1854, uh, at the height of McCarthyism, he sponsored a bill called the Communist Control Act, which actually outlawed membership of the Communist Party, which uh, civil libertarian, uh, some conservative uh, uh, lawyers as well as the liberal ones said, hey, that's against the Bill of Rights. <laughs> that's against the First Amendment. You can't tell people they can't join an organization. Uh, but Humphrey got away with it, even though this act was really never uh, enforced um, because it would have been too embarrassing to try to enforce it, I think. In 1964... He ran as the vice presidential candidate when LBJ was running for president. What did it take for Hubert Humphrey to get to be vice president in 1964? Well, essentially, you know, Johnson was was holding a kind of uh, tryout for a possible vice presidents, and he was pretty clear he'd probably win the election. And he was way ahead in the polls of Barry Goldwater, who was the uh, very conservative Republican candidate for president that year. So, and one of the one of the things Humphrey had to do for this tryout was to show that he could uh, carry out the president's wishes. And uh, this, at the at 1964 at the Democratic Convention in Atlantic City, this put him uh, at odds with the Black Freedom Movement uh, at the time, the grassroots Black Freedom Movement, especially. Uh, there was a group called the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party, which uh, civil rights workers, both black and white, had put together in Mississippi to challenge the all-white segregationist delegation of the regular Mississippi Democratic Party, uh, which was sending its delegates to the Democratic Convention in Atlantic City that year and was opposed to the Civil Rights Act, which, which uh, just a month before the convention, uh, President uh, Johnson had already had signed. But Johnson, who was a as um, aggressive, uh, as in, he was insecure, as insecure as he was aggressive, uh, wanted to win every state, uh, and that included southern states. And he was very afraid that if the um, uh, Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party uh, had been able to install its delegates, uh, black and white delegates, in the place of the regular Mississippi Democratic Party, the Mississippi Democratic Party would walk out of the convention, and uh, he would lose Mississippi, not just Mississippi, but also uh, other deep southern states where black people, for the most part, could not, could not yet vote. And so Johnson uh, asked, really commanded Humphrey to go to the MFDP, um, which had sent people up to Atlantic City from the South, uh, hoping to be seated in the convention, telling them basically, will you accept a compromise where they would get two symbolic seats, uh, but they would not be able to sit on the floor of the convention? And these people from Mississippi who've been, uh, some of them uh, had seen their friends killed, they've been in jail, they've been beaten up in this very crucial, bloody struggle in the South for civil rights, they hadn't come up to Atlantic City to accept two damn seats, which is how Fannie Lou Hamer, one of the charismatic leaders of the MFDP, put it. So they refused to accept this uh, compromise that Humphrey had worked out, and, and they left the convention. And uh, this was enough to convince Johnson that, that Humphrey would, as, Johnson, as Humphrey let it put it, uh, would eat his shit and like it. He was so desperate was Humphrey to get nominated vice president. He was willing to basically sell out the civil rights movement. After 1964 is when we have the tremendous escalation of the war in Vietnam. At the time, 
you and I and our friends blamed liberals for the war in Vietnam. Were we right about that? Mostly, I think we were, I'm afraid, yes, because these were Cold War liberals, after all. These were people who, beginning with uh, Harry Truman, late 1940s, on through John Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson, had supported a foreign policy, which I think its ideals were uh, not bad. I think communism uh, was uh, undemocratic and tyrannical and had to be opposed. But but the way in which liberal Democrats, when they were in power, wanted to oppose it and tried to oppose it was through force of arms, by building a network of bases all around the world, by setting up our own free world empire uh, to go against the Soviet empire. And, um, and the war in Vietnam was seen as just one front in that battle uh, against communism, when in fact uh, what was happening in Vietnam, uh, as many listeners probably know, Really, it was part of a struggle for Vietnamese independence, which uh, communist-led forces were, were leading. And then came 1968. LBJ, of course, withdrew from his own re-election campaign after nearly losing the first primary to another man from Minnesota, Senator Eugene McCarthy. Humphrey became the candidate of the party establishment, even though he didn't enter a single primary that year. I didn't know anything about the Democrats' platform in 1968 until I read your piece in The Nation. What was that like? Well, it was a very progressive platform. Uh, you might say it was a social democratic platform, a platform that today's Democrats, people like uh, progressive Democrats, someone like Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders might be uh, happy to run on. It included a, uh, a pledge to cover all Americans with health insurance, to uh, try to get housing for all Americans, to make sure there was nutritious food uh, for all Americans. And um, he called for a Marshall Plan for the cities. Uh, there have been these rebellions or riots in the cities uh, in 1965 to 1968, in black neighborhoods especially. And uh, he called for a Marshall Plan to give people jobs, to um, give them housing. So it was it would have created, if, it had been, if the platform had been... Um, acted upon, uh, it would have created a, uh, a welfare state, you know, not so different from ones uh, that now exist in a place like Scandinavia. But it was really overshadowed entirely, of course, by the argument about the war in Vietnam. So most people never really knew it existed. The question that we had to ask at that time and that we have to ask again today is, even though Humphrey was a key cheerleader for that atrocity in Indochina, should we have supported him for president to keep Nixon from becoming president. I remember my father, also from Minnesota, argued, you have to vote for Humphrey if only to save the Supreme Court. I know at the time you and I refused to support Humphrey. What does it look like now, 50 years later? Well, you know, uh, as they say, retrospect is twenty twenty. I think it would have been better, yes, if we had urged people to hold their noses and vote for Humphrey. But again, as historians, which you and I both are, we understand that you know you have to you have to understand people's choices in context. And the context at the time was was this guy for four years had been defending this awful policy. How could we ask people to support that? Michael Kazin he wrote about Hubert Humphrey for the Nation's Fall Book Issue. You can read him at thenation.com. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, John. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.